Get up, get up, there we go. Okay, 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 cool, cool. You're still there. Um, let's have some fun tonight, yeah? Okay. Um, our goal here is simple every single week. Blake said it perfectly. Would we leave here more in awe of who Jesus is? We're going to talk about some stuff tonight uh, that could be pretty fun, uh, could be pretty convicting, could be interesting, could be some stuff you haven't really heard before. Um, but no matter what we talk about, we hope that what you leave here with is a confrontation with the living God. Right, like no matter what like scripture we're opening or what topic we're kind of tackling, we hope that you leave here being like, dude, I think I just met Jesus. And I promise I'm throwing any weird curveballs at you at the end of tonight, like last week, but dude, God is moving. Not even kidding. Sorry, I'm not supposed to yell in the first couple minutes. But guys, people all around you, maybe it's you, are getting absolutely swept off their feet by the love of Jesus every single week. And his spirit is moving through you guys in such an encouraging way that, that like, I feel fueled to get up here and keep preaching to you. Because when we open the word of God together and, like, and when he does show up and he does confront us in our sin and, and makes us walk out of here like encouraged in his spirit, it's not stopping here. Like, do you know, have you talked to people around you? Are, like people are getting saved. People are hearing the gospel. And you keep coming back, so let's just keep on doing it, yeah? Pretty simple equation. I've been here for seven years now. Seven years coming up, that's a long time. Um, I bleed black and gold, baby. I love this place. I, not Tiffin, I love Iowa City <laughs> with a burning passion. Um, and when I transferred here from San Diego, pretty quick, long story short, it doesn't matter. Um, you're like, why would you do that? Well, here's why. There's something about this culture, about this city and this university that is incredibly gripping, Okay. It's a party school, bottom line. And I didn't transfer here because I wanted to necessarily partake, I guess. Um, but there was something unique about it, being the number one party school in the country at the time, knowing most of my high school friends came here with two intentions, get a degree, but really first priority, like don't remember your weekends, legit. And there was just something so compelling and magnetic about that culture. Like, if all my friends are going there to do that, how could I not be there with them? I know a lot of you guys have had the same experience. Like, I really wanted to go to, like, a small Christian school, and that would have been awesome if you would have done that. Like, I wanted to go here or there. But I'm just telling you, as somebody who's lived in Iowa City for now for a long time, and you're here tonight, praise God that you're in Iowa City. Thank you so much for being lights in a really dark place, because Iowa City is a very unique campus, is it not? Like, praise God, we're not number one party school in the country. God's moving. I think we're like 12. I don't know. Uh, I don't really know how they even rank that, but 20? Yeah. Praise God. Let's go. Um, but here's my point. Um, what is my point? Our culture, right, our city, our university has a very unique, what we're going to call an idol. Right, like something that is propped up as king of the culture. It's something that's propped up where people flock to, where people find community, where people worship. And it's, it's not like when you think of idols, maybe like falling on your feet and like on your knees and like singing to it. Like you don't see people like grabbing a bottle of beer and like falling on their knees and like singing worship songs to a beer. But there is something that you take note of that there is more houses of worship than just the church. That there is more community happening that isn't just based around the Bible, but our culture is uniquely good at doing that around the party scene. 
And what's so fun about being here and being here with you in particular, like all of us are in this together, is so many of us, God has ripped and plucked out of that scene and opened up our eyes in such a violent way that we didn't even know it hit us. Right? Like we were just swept off our feet, like I said, in love, but also just like with the truth that our lives that we were living, like our seeing the bottom of the bottle again and again and again actually wasn't satisfying us and God had something better to give us. What originally made me transfer to this place, guys, what originally drew me here was this whisper in my ear that what if you could see people's lives change even at the top party school in the country? What if God would be doing something that you get to sit front row and watch happen? And he promised me two things. You know, I'm not trying to sound like overly like we had like this really audible conversation, but it was almost audible. And this is what, this is like the two things I pretty much heard him say was, it is going to be so worth it. You will see this. Like you will see people in droves coming to the Lord and gathering around the gospel, not just around the bars. And that's true, obviously. But he also said in one way or another, that it would be the most heartbreaking thing I've ever entered into in my life. And he wasn't wrong. I can't tell you how many time and time again, how many experiences I've had with friend after friend after friend, leader, 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 committed follower, committed somebody coming to salt over and over again, somebody who says and does other things. How many people I have known who have elevated their view of the bottle of alcohol and left their small view of God in the dust and worshiped what could not satisfy, worshiped what left them high and dry and walked away from the God who bought them with a price. And so tonight, we're gonna be talking, we're supposed to be talking about heaven. If you thought, wait, what the heck is over talking about heaven? Okay, well, long story short, we're gonna change it up a little bit and we're just gonna do like some uh, talks about like what we're passionate and excited about and I guess I'm passionate about beer, so here we go. Um, probably shouldn't have said that. Um, we'll figure it out. What we need to do tonight is recognize that we are dropped in a place where we are offered something very, very good, a good thing, but it actually has the potential when our sin clings onto it to make that good thing a God thing, that we have something to enjoy that we actually begin to worship and in doing so, completely walk away from the Lord and find ourselves crashing and burning with nowhere to turn. And so tonight, this is what it's going to be called, right? Blessed are the thirsty. That looks sweet. Blessed are the thirsty. Tonight's not going to be like a visit to the principal's office or like being put in time out. Like, if you drink, you're in trouble tonight. Right? Like, we're not going to leave this place feeling hopefully guilty or like, you know, like, oh man, I feel like I just got hit over the head with a bunch of rules. But what, what like this kind of title comes from is that actually in like Matthew 5, 6, when Jesus said, like, bless are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In other words, tonight, I'm not hopefully going to tell you, you should be less thirsty, right? You're drinking, you have like, I'm using like a little bit of a metaphor, go with me, like you have this thirst that you were trying to satisfy out there, that you were trying to see the end of the bottle to satisfaction. And I'm not here tonight to tell you, you should be less thirsty. Put it down. Saying, oh no, you are not thirsty enough. I think the Bible would say, 
is that there is a far greater fountain to drink from. There's a far more wonderful spring of life to quench all of the deepest thirst that your soul possibly has. So let's just get this out on the table. Is alcohol bad? Yeah, I don't know. Go to different churches, maybe you're just like, alcohol in and of itself is not sinful. Okay, we got that off the block. No, if you kind of like have read the Bible and come to the conclusion that alcohol is evil in and of itself, you might have misread a thing or two. Okay, look at Ecclesiastes 9. It says that Ecclesiastes 9, wine gladdens the heart. Cool. John 2, Jesus provides wine for an entire wedding, like actually really, really good wine. Like he made it quality. Matthew 26, Jesus is about to go to the cross and he tells the disciples, I'm actually going to save you a glass in heaven. Like I'm actually going to drink wine with you again in eternity. That's kind of cool. Probably haven't heard that one before, have you? Like the Bible is not concerned overly with the wickedness that alcohol brings more so than it is that my sin brings when I grasp onto alcohol. Hear me say that again. Alcohol is not in and of itself sinful. It is a good gift from God to be handled in the right way. But when my sin gets a hold of it, even I'm surprised at what damage and harm it can do. We know there's a wrong way to drink. Like, you don't need me to tell you this, right? Like, your body will tell you that there's a wrong way to drink. You cannot have as many drinks as you possibly want. Your body will tell you the next morning that that was a bad idea. Okay? Alcohol can be had in excess, and that is not okay. And we also know that alcohol cannot be had before you're 21. And I'm going to put this to bed. I do not want to spend a lot of time on this. The law says in Iowa, where we live, <laughs> that if you're not 21, you're not to have beer. You're not to have alcohol. And if we know anything from the Bible and what we learn about submitting to the authority of God, God puts authority, like Romans 13 says, in our lives so that we would learn to submit to him. It is our joy, even if it's hard, even if we find the law is not always the most fair or the most consistent, that we will follow the law. That is not what we're here to talk about tonight. Alcohol in excess and alcohol outside of the law are wrong ways to handle God's good gift. And so tonight, is this about rules or is there something deeper at stake? I'm not up here inviting you into the principal's office to like, you know, all right, bring the shooters up here and throw them on stage. Like what's like empty your pockets. Like we're not doing that. No, what's at stake tonight is much deeper than rules and laws and simple do's and don'ts, guys. It's drastically important because it's not like we have, you know, I'm calling out the alcoholics in the room, but I'm telling you that might actually be a thing that you are realizing in your life right now. And I hope that you can find help. Like it's, this isn't just a shout out to all the alcoholics or the potential aspiring alcoholics in the room. No, alcohol is a good God-intended thing that has taken hold of our culture in the wrong way. It's taken hold of our culture in such a way that has actually created stronger and more passionate houses of worship than even the one we're in right now. There are more passionate houses of worship in this city than the one where we are to worship God who created us, who's to judge the universe. And I think if I'm being honest with you guys tonight, God is jealous. 
God is jealous as he looks out and sees more passion in the bars than the church that he bled and died for. I think God is jealous that so many of us can come here week in and week out and hold one hand in worship and sing all the right words while we have a full PBR in our other hand, metaphorically speaking. I think God is jealous and I think he wants to win hearts back to him tonight through the smoke screen, through the distraction and woo you with his love and show you how much he loves you. Tonight is about realizing that we are created for so much more than a cheap buzz, guys. Tonight is about knowing that beer is not the problem, but actually our sin is the problem. Tonight is about believing that if we have this deep thirst in our soul that needs quench, it needs satisfaction, then maybe, just maybe, there is a satisfaction out there for it. So let's go to the root. Let's not just like go at the branches and stay on all the peripheral. No, like let's lay our ax, contend with our ax to get at the root of the problem. Because when we do this, we go at the very thing that threatens to steal our souls. We can drink deep the true joy of satisfaction of the gripping goodness of our God. And that is something worth fighting for. Blessed are the thirsty, for they will be satisfied. Okay, we're going to see three things out of Ephesians 5. So if you want to start turning there. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. We're going to see that the days are evil, so we should walk wisely, that we shouldn't be drunk but filled with the Spirit, and that we are to live satisfied lives. So as you're turning there, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. I promise this gets brighter by the end. Don't worry. Oh, this is what it says, guys. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reference in Christ. Okay. The first thing we're going to see, guys, as we're recognizing our thirst and striving tonight for what true satisfaction has, is that the days are evil, and so we are instructed to walk wisely. The days are evil, so walk wisely. Look at verse 15 and 16 again. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Why? Because the days are evil. Evil. Heavy word. Big word. We don't just throw around a lot of time. We don't talk about this day and age like, man, like life's really hard right now. Yeah, the days are evil. Like you don't really say that much in conversation. But what this is getting is that there is actually a real danger out there, right? Like there is a real danger in your daily walk. That there is a battle happening for your very soul every day of your life. Did you know that? Like there is a battle for your soul. There is a battle for your identity about who you are and who you are becoming every single day as you walk through this life. The issue at hand is not actually beer that we're talking about tonight, guys. It's not gonna be like, all right, he's gonna tell me if I'm allowed to drink or not. That's not actually where we're going. Tonight is actually way more about identity, right? It's not actually just about the substance and the liquid. It's about like what you are running to it for. It's like, oh, I wanna feel a certain way. I wanna feel that kind of buzz. I wanna feel a little numb. I wanna become this type of person. I want to be seen a certain type of way. I want to fit in with a certain type of crowd. 
We see the battle of our identity hinging upon a bottle in this city so often. That based on how you handle this one massive part of our culture, it says so much about you, doesn't it? I think it says two things. Like it tries to grip your identity. Alcohol tries to grip for your identity in two specific ways. Socially and privately. Alcohol tries to grip your identity and your life and who you are socially. What do I mean by that? Drinking how much you drink, what you drink, where you drink and when you drink, and how often you drink, how many drinks you can handle, all of those things build up how others see you. Doesn't it? What happens the first five minutes that you were dropped off in your dorm room? Remember back, for some of you, that was like four years ago. What was the first thing that happened? Were you offered something? Probably. What was the first plans that you were offered to go do that weekend or that night? It was the same for all of us. What's the easiest way to fit in? What's the easiest way to make friends? It's pretty simple. Be like everybody else. Go do what everybody else is doing. If everybody else is doing it, it can't be that bad. If everybody else is doing it, at least I know I'll make friends. At least I'll start small and I won't actually partake in what they're doing, but I'm going to at least go. Why? Because we want to socially build an identity. We gather around those places and those grails and those drinks so that we will be seen a particular way. Maybe if I just look like everyone else, then, then I will potentially be happy. So our social groups are centered around this, how much I do and don't drink. But notice what I just said. Do or don't drink. So some of you guys tonight came in here and you're saying, oh, nailed it. I don't drink. I'm not 21, never touched this stuff. I am 21, even more props for me. I still don't touch this stuff. Never been drunk in my life. You're not off the hook quite yet. Not only do we base our social lives and our standing around maybe how much we do drink, but isn't it wicked and subtly sinful of us to do the exact same thing about our abstinence from it? This is the subtlety of our sin. Not only do we identify by our excess or debauchery, like it says, but our lack and our abstinence. If salt is going to be a place, guys, get this. If salt is going to be a place where we are just known for not drinking, count me out. That sounds awful. Like, if salt was first and foremost known as a place that is just full of 400 plus, 500 people who don't drink, what a miserable identity that is. What a terrible label to have. That that's the most important, recognizable thing about you. When you tell people that you go to salt, do they think, first and foremost, what you do or don't do with a bottle? Or do they think, first and foremost, about Jesus? Like when you, when you start talking about salt with your friends and you maybe start inviting people and they're like, oh, isn't that just a place of rules? Isn't that a place where the Bible says you can't do a lot of things and so that's what everybody's doing. We're gathering to follow rules. Do you know how to answer them? Is your life more about following the rules and abstaining from things that you are afraid of? Or is your life, is our life, is our identity more about Jesus? 
Our culture is prone to make who you are about how you approach the bottle, whether in your excess or your abstinence. And so socially, we gather around people who are like us, but also privately, right? Because let's be real, life sucks sometimes. Amen? It's hard. Life is full of pain. Life is full of sadness. Life is full of tragedy and every single person will die. We have been confronted in this church this past two weeks with just so much perspective, right? Jeff's up here last week just talking about a funeral he did. I had the privilege of going to a funeral with him yesterday where we gain perspective on what's really, really important, right? What we learned last week and what we don't even need to be taught is that life is just painful. In this sin-infected, dying world, it hurts to be here sometimes. And sometimes that's what makes the bottle glow all the brighter. That's what makes that taste that might hurt and not taste good at first going to go down a little bit smoother. As you grow numb and you try and push down the pain of what true life is actually throwing at you, the oldest trick in the book, but there are a few things more accessible than alcohol to suppress our deepest and darkest pains. How much easier it is for us to be numb than to feel the sting of life. We think of drinking it to other people to think that I'm like just doing okay, that if my life is fine, that I'm just a normal guy who has my life all together, then however I feel in the morning must be worth it. My first college roommate, God bless him, love him to death, still goes to Veritas. But I remember his story about how he showed up and he got plugged in with the frat right away just because he wanted the friends. Nothing wrong with that. And he got plugged in and he started doing stuff he promised he would never do. And he started small, but man, it ramped up quick. And he loved the social attention he could get from drinking. He loved the approval he could get from scores of other boys who were impressed with how he could handle his liquor. Week in and week out, he would push the envelope farther and farther until one morning he just had enough and he woke up covered in his own vomit and his own urine. And he went up and he looked in the mirror after throwing up again. And he asked the age-old question, is this all that I was made for? Is this really as good as life gets? If people are saying, these are my glory days, and people are saying, this is how you live life to the fullest, how in the world could this be true? Has he barely had time to get those words out before he had to throw up again and again? Is this who I'm supposed to be? We need to walk wisely, which means being aware of the very danger that threatens your soul. Where alcohol is not actually the villain here, it blows my mind how dangerous my sin is when it gets a hold of it. How quickly my sinful flesh just takes these good gifts and makes them little gods to worship. How my flesh can ruin myself and others around me. How I can trade the passion I have for God for something so insignificant to either numb a feeling or so that other people will like me. The days are evil because sin is actually prowling around like a lion hunting its prey, guys. Even in the best and good things in life, sin is desperately trying to get us to stop worshiping our true God and worship lesser things. So we need to walk wisely, but what does that look like? The second thing we see, guys, is that what that looks like is pretty simple. Don't get drunk. 
<laughs> but, 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 be filled with the Spirit. Okay, look at verses 17 and 18 again. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, that's excessive. But be filled with the Spirit. If you are new to the church, I'm really glad you're here tonight. And your friend who brought you is probably like, oh, I'm not. <laughs> Why out of all the weeks to bring him? No, I'm here. I'm, I'm glad you're here. And li listen to this. If you don't know much about this, if you kind of grew up in church where you kind of just don't really get it all, okay. This is a great safe place to be actually. And this is what you need to hear. Christianity is not a religion of abstinence. The foundation of Christianity is not first and foremost about abstaining from good things, but it is, about, it is actually about experiencing the most wonderful, profound, explosive joy that you were created to experience. Christianity is not about absence. It is about greater joy than you can even imagine. Drunkenness is excessive. The word debauchery but notice how closely this idea of drunkenness, like being filled with too much alcohol, is actually being compared to or contrasted with, rather, by being spiritually filled. Why is, why, why is like, we, why are we not supposed to be filled with one, but filled with the other? Like, what's going on here? Like, they sound so interwoven, but obviously antonyms here, which means the opposite. Like, what, why not be filled with that, but be filled with the Spirit? Well, where alcohol shuts down and numbs, the Spirit brings true life and full joy. The nature of alcohol is to shut down your higher thinking, but the nature of God's Spirit is to bring you into the greatest joy and satisfaction that you were actually made for. Do you know who the Holy Spirit is? Notice I didn't say what. Like, it's not an it. He is a he. He's a person. He is God. He has been part of the triune Godhead forever and always will be. The Father, Son, and who? The Holy Spirit. Full of joy. The author of life. The power that is working in a very specific way now to open up the eyes of blind people to see Jesus as beautiful, to quicken the hearts of dead, cold corpses, to worship joyfully Jesus now. That is who the Holy Spirit is. That's what he's up to, even tonight. And the Spirit is asking us to do something incredibly scary. Are you ready for this? The Spirit is actually asking you tonight to do something, to step into something incredibly scary. Life and all of its pain is going to come at you. But instead of numbing it and trying to avoid the pain, we are called to something far more risky. The Spirit plans to grip us tightly, not to avoid the pain, but to carry us through. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, guys? We need to know this. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means you experience the satisfying joy of God that you were made for. Experience the satisfying, deep thirst, satisfying joy that you and I were both created for. Being filled with the Spirit isn't weird, right? It's not like this, like, everybody's going to start just, like, uh, doing stuff, right? Like, it's not, like, always like that. 
The Holy Spirit works in really cool ways. But I would say it's not something to be afraid of or to avoid at all. It's actually descriptive of the best life you could possibly have being filled with the Spirit. Be filled, it says in verse 18, you see that? It says, be filled. Here's a little English or Greek lesson for you. It's like this, of course, I don't even know, I had to look this up. But it's like this present tense imperative. No idea what that means, but that's what, what it means in this context. It means literally to be continually filled. In other words, it's a fancy way of saying that this should be a continual way of life. That being filled with the Spirit is something we do over and over and over again. So verse 18 is literally saying that we are never to get drunk. That is wrong. That is not how we glorify God with the gift that he has given us. We are never to get drunk, but we are continually to be filled with the Spirit like every single day. Psalm 16 should be true of us. That God, you are my chosen portion in my cup. There is eternal joy there. Is that true of us? Is that true of you? Is that true of me? You see, the point is not how close can I get to being drunk without sinning? How close do I have to get to being drunk? How many beers can I possibly have to where I don't have to confess my sin to my connection group this week? That's not the point at all. The point is that the bottle was never actually meant to satisfy you and it never actually will. The point is not that when you break the rules, you simply know that you made a stupid decision. It's that you're missing out on the explosive joy of God in your life. And so if you are somebody who says, yes, I'm following Jesus tonight, stop getting drunk. Bottom line. There's no wiggle room for that in here. But it's not just what to stop. It's not just a list of no's to do. But it's actually encouragement to find joy by running in the other direction, right? The sweet whisper of alcohol says, escape from this current pain. Escape from your loneliness. Escape from these feelings that you wish would leave. Find friends, acceptance, and full life here. But the wonderful whisper of the Spirit is different. And he says, dare to walk through life with me today. Dare to walk through life with me today, and I promise you will find joy. Blessed are the thirsty, for they shall be satisfied. Why? Because God wants us to stop robbing our souls of what truly satisfies. God wants you to be full of him and all of his goodness. Now, what does this actually look like as we land this? What does it look like for us to say no to drunkenness? To embrace what life is really going, but knowing that we could do it with the Spirit, being filled with the presence of God himself. What does it actually lead us to? Our last point is this, guys. Live like you're satisfied. Live like you're satisfied. Verse 19 through 21 says this, guys. Address one another in spiritual songs and hymns singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Give thanks always in everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is where we turn from all the no's and all the rules into the yes of the fullest life possible. This is where we just collide with joy. This is where it looks like to live the life that we were meant to and how to actually do it. This is where that pathetic God of the bottle gets smashed. And we see God as worth everything. 
This passage instructs us in three really simple ways, okay? Three incredibly simple but profound and gripping ways for us to take out of here. It says, first, that we're to sing loud for all to hear, right? That's just from Elf. That's not that profound. That's not, it's like best way to spread cheer, right? Is singing loud for all to hear. In other words, this song, this idea of singing with one another is to stir our affections for Jesus. Why do we put so much into this? Believe it or not, it has absolutely nothing to do with filling the seats. <laughs> it has nothing to do with like you impressing your friends and you being pressed and hearing all the cool stuff that happens up here. No, we get it from here, that we would be mutually encouraged as we're singing, like Blake said, the truest things about who Jesus is. And so our affections for him would be stirred and we would love him more and more together. That's why we sing so much. That's why we care so much about it. That's why they do a really good job. So we would sing and address one another, which is a little weird, but, you know, be with one another in singing these wonderful spiritual songs and hymns, making melody to the Lord with your heart. There's something about art, beauty, song that cuts through the defenses of your soul, that even the hardest heart with all the gates up as possible say, no, the truth will not get to me. There's something about art that sometimes creeps in there, isn't there? And it's good and it's sweet and it stirs our affections for Jesus. Are we singing tonight like we are drinking from the fountain of joy? Revelation describes many times that we are going to drink without price from the, the river of the water of life, that there is going to be this satisfying drink that we will have nonstop access to forever. It is always going to be accompanied by singing new songs like worthy, you are worthy forever. Are you warming up for that now? It's pretty fun. You should try it. The second thing is that we're to be thankful in other words, we're to recenter ourselves on God's goodness to us. We're to be thankful people. And it says the word always, and I believe that this is saying we are to be thankful always. We're going to take the Bible for what it says here. Be thankful always. And you're like, you don't know how hard my life is. What about in Psalm 34 when David is fleeing for his life? He's about to be killed. And he says, oh, what I need right now is to taste and see that the Lord is good. We can be thankful because no matter what you are going through right now, no matter the pain and the loneliness and the social rejection that you have faced this year, God is still good and he is still near to you and he is waiting with a cup in his hand saying, take and drink of this. Take and drink of me. Be satisfied. Be full. Taste and see that I am good. No matter what your circumstance is, God doesn't change, and so you can always run back to the fountain of life and taste and see his goodness. This ensures that we can always be thankful, that we can always recenter our life on God's goodness to us. We're to sing loud, we're to be thankful, and finally, guys, we're to live for others. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, in the way of a question, does even the way you drink put others before yourself? Does even the way you drink put others before yourself? When we have tasted the satisfaction of Jesus Christ, we cannot help but try and share our overflowing cup with others, right? Because of this, we now have even like this freedom in drinking, like knowing that there is a non-simple way to do it, there is a way to do it, 
that is honoring to God, but we even use our freedom in drinking for the benefits of others around us? Is the way you drink actually pointing others to satisfaction in Jesus, guys? Do you drink around other under 21-year-olds? Really practical. Do you who have the freedom and the privilege of enjoying this good gift, do you do it around under 20-year-olds and making them covet and thirst after something that they have no business doing? Stop. As an older brother here, I'm just telling you, stop tempting them to chase after something that will not satisfy. But instead, use your freedom. Lay it down. Don't flaunt it. And show them where true satisfaction comes. Do you actually think it's a good idea for you to go to the bars on the weekend? I'm not telling you yes or no. (laughs) I'm telling you that this is good stuff to wrestle with. As a Jesus follower, as somebody who wants to actually find true satisfaction or who says they have found it in the past, is it the best idea for you to go to the bars and to flaunt your freedom on the weekend? Maybe not. (laughs) Maybe God has actually pulled you from that scene and it is actually way too hard of a draw that is pulling you back in. And maybe it's something that you actually shouldn't approach anymore. We are to use our freedom to bless others out of reverence for Christ. Why? Why are we to even use the things that we feel entitled to? Why are we even choose, like choosing to leverage them and to strategically use those freedoms in a way that points to Jesus. Well, how fitting is it, guys, that we would even use the greatest idol of our culture and instead of trying to conform to it and be as much like it as possible, we would grasp it, take hold of it, and strategically use it to use our freedom with it and to make it something that makes much of the name of Jesus. That we would be able to be in this culture and not be of it. That we would be in the world but not of it. That we would actually live in a way that people would say, that is different, I want what they have. That person actually used to do this and now they don't know it, what's going on? That person actually isn't living quite like me, but for some reason there is a countenance and a joy about them that I don't personally have. How fitting is it that our God, who gave us these good gifts, that he sees our deep soul thirst. He did not leave us thirsty. He did not leave us on our own to figure this out. God watched me and you forsake him. As Jeremiah says that we would dig our own wells, that we did not want his living water, but we decided to dig our own wells, that we decided to go after our own water. The problem is it's broken and it doesn't work. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't actually fulfill us. He watched with tears in his eyes. He waited with a pain in his chest, and finally he acted. According to his wisdom, God put on flesh. He showed us what the full and satisfied life would look like in the man of Jesus Christ. And as he hung on the cross, paying the price for my wicked sin, my abuse and worship of small little G gods, he said these profound words, I thirst. proving that he would take on our wickedness. And with his last breath and death, 
in his first breath in resurrection, he made it very, very clear. He made it clear that he is the answer to our ultimate thirst. He alone is our satisfaction. Blessed are the thirsty, for they will be satisfied. I hope you feel a little bit torn, that you feel a little bit in the tension right now as we're done that you want to strategically leverage your life and the freedoms you have to not live entitled and to live rambunctious, excessive lives, that your identity would not be centered around how you do or don't use the bottle, but that every single part of your life would make much of the name of Jesus. And when we take this stuff seriously and we see the joy that is on the other side, that the life filled with the Spirit is far more satisfying than the life filled with alcohol. That this culture would go from number one to what, out of the top 20? Yeah, let's go. Let's see what God would do. Let's pray. God, my soul was created um, to be satisfied. You created me and you created all of us in your image, God, that only you and your nearness could leave us complete and make us whole. And God, what my confession is tonight, where I feel convicted, is that I'm so good at talking up a big game. But I want to fill my life with other things so often. God, and when we look out at the crowd, when we look out at our culture, we see a very, very tempting thing, a very good thing, but tempting in the sense that it threatens to take over our lives. It threatens to build our identity, and it threatens us to walk away from worshiping the true and living God, the only one worthy, and to worship pathetic false gods. And so I pray that the water of heaven would just saturate the souls of your people tonight, God. That even tonight, people would turn to Jesus and say, yeah, I'm throwing it away. Drinking is not the problem. My sin is. And I need my sin forgiven. So God, as we even sing these last songs, would it stir our affections for Jesus, who loved us enough to hang on a cross, to take our thirst upon himself. And who is powerful enough to raise from the dead, knowing that we can feel freedom from our addictions in this room. That we would feel freedom from our sin. That we would experience the life and the joy of being filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with nothing else. So would our song be a beautiful melody to you? Would we sing and address one another in spiritual songs? Would we encourage and leverage our lives for one another so the name of Jesus would look great? We are thankful, God. Amen.